After a year of running experiments, we realized that successful sellers and marketers didn't have the next greatest playbook. They actually had frameworks, insights, and tests that they ran and refined. Welcome to the B2B Power Hour, where we align go-to-market teams together to win the right business with better experiments. I'm your host, Nicholas Dickett, and I'm a seller. And I'm your other host, Morgan Smith, and I'm a marketer. Join us for live shows and interviews that will help you learn what to test so you can sell and market better to your customers and prospects. Now, on to today's episode. Banana! Welcome back to the B2B Power Hour. <laughs> I feel like we need like a Batcave theme entrance, like <laughs> we're back. Hi, Nick. How are you? That'll be the next edition of B2B Power Hour. Yeah. <laughs> Add some Batcave uh, music. Well, welcome to this Power Play episode. If this is your first episode ever of the B2B Power Hour, this is a little different than what we do normally. We dive into the archive. We pull highlights. I got a bunch of clips for us today. And we're combining them into one ultimate episode for everyone to use and reuse, hence the Power Play. And today is a topic I feel we have talked about a lot, Nick, over the years, generating demand on LinkedIn. Do you have any guesses what the earliest episode was of the B2B Power Hour that we started talking about LinkedIn? Number one. (laughs) So I think we've like talked about it in the first uh, 10 or 11, but... As early as episode 12, we were talking about content. And in episode 19, we were talking about cold prospecting. And then in episode 35, we finally had our first fully dedicated LinkedIn selling strategies episode. So needless to say, it's been our bread and butter through the past couple of years. Well, and who's not having pipeline issues right now? Oh, goodness. Ain't that the truth? That's the other biggest thing. Like, you know, of all the customers, all of the people that have reached out, the number one thing I hear is, I just don't have enough at bats. I just don't know how to get leads. I just keep getting ghosted. I can't even, like, start conversations. Like, I'm getting stonewalled, and my quota is not going down. Yep. Hence today's episode. (laughs) And I was thinking about this, because... Look, there's a lot of ways to put together an episode on the B2B Power Hour about using LinkedIn. We have our proactive framework, which is designed for account-based sales development on LinkedIn. We have Calm, our go-to-market framework to help save pipeline from total destruction. Uh, We've got at least three or four rules that we use on social we could structure ourselves around. But... um, The more that I thought about this, generating demand on LinkedIn isn't complicated. It isn't actually really all that complicated. Uh, But before I dive into this framework we're going to use today, what I was curious, Nick, is if you could share, if we could do story time, show and tell, like we're in elementary school. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to tell the story of how one comment on one post led to a $154,000 deal for our consulting firm aligned. And still growing. And still growing. Yeah, that is fair. Yes. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this. You hear a lot of advice. And we're kind of in a rare circumstance where we couldn't find the, the information we needed. So we just started experimenting. 
But, you know, you hear about social listening and you hear about all these different things. And it's just so neat to see how quickly it can work. So I was social listening. I have different terms that I look for each day during the week. And in particular, I always try to find something fun like cold calling sucks or I can't hit quota or I don't know what my manager does. He's useless. No, I'm just kidding. That's a little bit excessive. But yeah, it's easy. I always try to different terms that would be more, more natural of how people would talk about things. And particular day I was at social selling and it was super interesting because I was scrolling through and I saw one of our graphics and I'm like, that looks oddly familiar. And why is it getting attributed to someone else? And so I had done a little digging, found out that somebody else had used it in a corporate setting and didn't ask and was using it to go and sell their own social selling program. And I just reached out. I'm like, hey, just so you know, this isn't theirs. They didn't ask to go and use it in a corporate. In a comment too. In a comment. And I'm like, and I tried to be as like, what does Chris Voss call it? Unstoppably nice. Like, this is not okay. But yeah, like you're you're on the right track for social selling. It just led into a very quick conversation, like a really deep dive in the DMs of, I'm trying to understand social selling. I don't get how it works. We talk about networking and it wasn't even that like, so what do you do? It was, hey, explain to me what net or what social selling is. Explain to me how it works because I've been trying it, this, 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 and this. And these are all the scenarios, but it's just not working. And just talking through it, and because they'd already tried it, it was kind of easy to meet those examples where they left off. I'm like, oh, okay. So that example, it wasn't actually social selling, it was content marketing. Ah, okay, well, that was actually selling on LinkedIn. That shit should just not be done ever again. Like that, nobody wants that. And so we just went over all these different examples and can we have a meeting just to go and discuss this? And as you know, like as history played out, it was three days. It was so quick to the first pilot with them. But the thing that we all have to go and think about is why? Why did this move so fast? Why did this work the way it did? Was it just like luck? Well, yeah, it was luck. But the reason why the luck existed is because right place, right time. And because the when we think of like the whole buying experience, first, you got to start with a student of your craft. You first got to notice that there's an issue. And so people that have issues that are motivated to fix it, go to try to find solutions. And that's all it was is when you're going out on social and you're finding the people that understand those symptoms are a problem and it's a problem worth solving. That's who you should be engaging with. The problem is we get taught to do it wrong. The other thing that stands out from that story, well, actually, there's a lot of things that stand out from your story. One is that you didn't lead with what we had offered. So obviously, at first, clearly, there's this person who had plagiarized content and got shared out uh, without our branding on it and got reshared by by our eventual buyer. But not only did the comment not lead with what we offered or like, hey, just so you know, we had created this. The conversation you had was bringing insight and perspective to why someone like that buyer was struggling. What wasn't going right? It wasn't at all about the fact that we had offered social selling training. It was that, hey, have you thought about this before? Or, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, we see this a lot. Have you considered this before? Or, oh, no, that's not exactly what we see. This is really why that's happening. And companion to that is we didn't start with a sales pitch at all. We didn't reach out to this person who had reshared our our content with a sales pitch. Because I know people who do this all the time. Oh, 
You reshared my post. You must be interested in what I have to offer. So I'm going to pitch you. It was you validated the idea that this company could need our services, that it was the right time and the right place through all of those conversations. And I think lastly, to your point about luck and timing, like this buyer was ready to buy. They were looking for solutions. They did not have to go through a bunch of education motions that students might need to. They didn't need to understand categories of problems or pains like prospects might need to. This buyer was ready in pain and looking for solutions. And so I think that's also why I might have closed quickly. That's not all that common. That's a small percent, as we'll talk about today, of your market. Well, if you think about it, like what actually happened is we used to go and you know, professionals in the workplace, we'd go after work to bitch about our employers because that's just, we go to swap stories, you know, talk shop. Do you bitch about me, Nick, when you're out with your friends? Do you talk smack about working with me? Who? Who? <laughs> Wait, you don't have any friends? <laughs> Why do you think I brew beer? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also about like knowing your audience. Certain friends that, you know, are in, the, in our field, I'll talk to them about some of the stuff we're working on that I know is interesting or if I want to go in see how they react to it. But I think the hardest thing that I learned through my career is there's a difference between bitching about something for attention and airing something out because you're trying to talk through it so you can figure it out. And I think that's why social media has just taken off because when we were in the offices, we'd go out and we'd talk and we'd you know work with our peers. We'd learn through osmosis. You know, you listen in the bullpen, somebody nail a pitch and you're like, shit, that's so good. I need to go and use that. Now it's like a, like a, Reminds me of like Finding Nemo, like boin, boin, and it's like bouncing back all across the bullpen. We don't have that luxury anymore. And I know a lot of sellers, when we talk to them, don't like the surveillance state that happens in their Slack channels or in their Teams channels. So they just avoid it altogether. And so what do they do is they go where their peers are, and that's typically social media. And so even if I would have had really tight targeting and this company would have come up on my radar it wouldn't have told me the full story without seeing that post, starting that conversation, understanding the frequency of that pain or frequency and like impact of that pain and that they were already in search mode. So they weren't, you know, a student, they weren't a prospect, they were a buyer. They just got burned trying other things in the past. And so what they really needed to understand wasn't why change, why you, or why now, it was why you? And why is this the right solution that once implemented is going to be the right, you know, get us the right results? And I think that's what we just rush through all too often, right? Is like, we'll just go sign the paperwork. And, you know, in these times of the fear of messing up, the biggest thing people want to know is, but can you do it? Yeah, you might have the product, but can you deliver on it? And I think that's why social media in general is taking off as a platform for sales it's because I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sick of useless emails that somebody is totally out to lunch on their yeah product marketing. And then you get the one person that nails it, like your dad or Stu in their contact campaigns. Or I think about like Melissa sending videos. You don't have to think about whether or not it's for you. It's obvious. You know, that show don't tell. Right. Well, and I think where everybody starts on LinkedIn Actually, this isn't true. I think where everybody starts on LinkedIn is, okay, this is a cool platform and they go and try and do some stuff first. They post some content, they leave some comments, they send some DMs, and then they say, oh my God, this is so much time. How can I automate this? 
And then they go and try and achieve scale on platform because this is also what a lot of sales organizations and salespeople have taught us to do on other channels, particularly phone and email. You do cold calling, you need a power dialer. You do emails, well, you can't just manually send an email. You got to put it in a sequencer and you got to send it out 7,000 people at a time so that you can achieve supposedly the kind of, you know, this is all fiction, folks, Um, supposedly the kinds of results that you achieve. And I have to give credit where it's due to ourselves for once, that back, this isn't about social, but back in episode seven, we said this. Tech should be to augment what you're doing well, because it'll also augment what you're not doing well. It shouldn't be your go-to. I think what people miss, and especially in this episode about generating demand on LinkedIn is, if you don't know how to generate demand manually, you cannot generate demand automatically. And yeah, you can buy SalesNav to improve your efficiency, but if you're not doing it right, if you don't have the fundamentals right, you're only going to get efficient at being bad at LinkedIn. (laughs) Or any other tech for that matter. If your content doesn't resonate, you're going to just publish more content that doesn't resonate. If your direct outreach isn't well-targeted, well-timed, well-formulated, and doesn't reach the right buyers, you're just going to do more of the spam that everybody seems to hate. So, Today, we're going to talk about three C's, the only three C's you need to generate demand on LinkedIn. And yeah, there are a few core elements outside of what we're talking about today, particularly your profile, that do play a big difference. But hey, folks, good news. We have a Power Play episode on your profile, so you can go check that out if you want to go finesse it. We're focusing on today is what you actually need to do on platform to win. I don't want to get too glib here, but really where it all starts is... Benny asks, what do you do if the level you're reaching doesn't have details or they're not active on LinkedIn? You don't start with them. Yeah, simple as that. And so under spotlights in SalesNav, if you're using SalesNav, spotlights will go and show you who's posted in the last 30 days. People that comment and post will show that they're active. Lean into the people that are more active. I don't know why this is such a hard thing for people to understand about this platform, Nick, but I feel like maybe in private consultations and all of our work, the thing I find us repeating more than anything, not tactics, not strategy or anything, is find the active people on the platform and engage with them. Those are your targets. I think it's the stress, honestly. What it is is that we stop thinking and we just act with ignorance. (laughs) No, but seriously, but think about... Have you ever almost been hit walking across the street in the crosswalk on your phone? Yes, I have. Why did you almost get hit? They weren't paying attention mostly. And neither were you. So it's kind of like those perfect storms. And I feel like what has happened right now is we're in a perfect storm of bad sales culture meeting bad economy. And the bad economy isn't what's actually killing sales. It's leadership's inability to change with the times. There's way too many options, just too many. I know you guys have all heard me talk about going to buy shoes and how overwhelming it was to buy runners. Why in the hell would I need 27 different options of runners? And that's before you start picking colors. That's tennis shoes for our American colleagues who listen. You guys don't call them runners when you go run? I mean, generally speaking, the category of shoe is called a tennis shoe. Nick is very confused. Not a court shoe? 
No, it's the tennis shoe. Apparently, we wear way more particular with our shoes in Canada. This is all new stuff that I'm learning. <laughs> really? No. Are you screwing with me? No, I'm not. Today, everybody, Nick learns American idioms alongside generating demand on LinkedIn. I uh, No, I'm not screwing with you. Okay, well, that is genuinely news to me. I love how stunlocked you are, so I'm just going to keep on this going on this conversation. To what you're pointing, though, not just sales culture in this environment, I think one uh, result of a toxic sales culture and of sales leadership is that we have been taught there is the one person to go after who will solve all of our problems. And uh, I think this is back in episode 81 that... And it seems to be the most talked about on LinkedIn, too. The mythical unicorn, the decision maker, the one to rule them all. There isn't just one. But this is where it gets really, really freaking interesting. Is who are the five to ten people in that organization that need to know you exist? It's sad. That's went through my head again. And I think this is where it all starts. Aside from the things that we can't control in the economy, and maybe a manager who isn't super supportive... If we take a look at LinkedIn as a platform and we step back from what we're going to do and what we're going to say and what we're going to send and blah, 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 and stop pretending that there's actually only one buyer for whatever you sell. And we ask this real amazing question that you've been asking sellers for years on this show. Who are the five to 10 people that need to know you exist before you can sell? I think the entire game changes on the platform because now it's not about that VP, really. I mean, kind of, but it's not actually really about that VP. Anybody listening to this has been a teenager. Think of your parents or a teacher, the one that you knew if you were in trouble, they were going to you're going to get yelled at or screamed at or you're you're just something bad was going to happen if you opened up that you did something wrong. So what do you do? Shut up and move on. This is what's happening in a lot of companies is there's absolutely no incentive to be honest. None. I audited a CRM. When was that? Three weeks ago and found out that over 40 or 50% of their pipeline was fake. Why? SDRs got comped on putting stuff into pipeline, whether or not it was real. You book a meeting, it's in pipeline. And so there's no incentive. So people go quiet. And so a lot of the time, these executives, these parents think things are great but that's because they're sheltered from the truth. So why would you go to the aggressor? Why would you go to the person that owns the status quo? Why wouldn't you go and build a team around yourself? It seems so obvious when you say it out loud, but it's like, okay, which comes first? You know, the chicken or the egg? Well, in what fucking world would the economic buyer come first? Hey, you should buy my shit. No. No, what comes first is if you're taking something to court, you need to have a case. And before you have a case, you need to do some detective work. And then you go and have to submit it to the judge to approve it so that you can actually take it to court. We have that in our legal system. We share that in common too, right? Yes, I think so. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but actually you point out, so this, this is really funny. If this is your first episode of the B2B Power Hour, you probably heard us say these things before, but I think they've become so second nature. This is a deep cut from the archive. I don't know if it was single digit episodes, but it was definitely early on 
one added benefit of not just going after the single economic buyer who's not going to make the decision anyways is you won't necessarily get the perfect question right away. And that's Mm -hmm. also another reason why it's nice to start lower on the ladder to Mm -hmm. go and figure out, get your recon to know what's important. Another great resource is going on to their investment reports. The investor pages looking at their shareholder reports to see their SWOT analysis. Where are they struggling? What's a weakness right now that they know they have to improve on? And this is all preparation, right? Like, uh, is it extra work? Yeah, but like how effective is what you're doing right now in generating pipeline? And from what we see across companies, most pipelines down 40 to 70%. And sadly, that means that sales ends up being the scapegoat for all of those problems. And one of the great ways to swim against the tide here is instead of thinking, and we've run into this, the CIO is the only person you really need to get in front of. And oh God, if I could only get a meeting with the CIO, there's the five to 10 people who you actually need to get in front of and do your homework up front. And LinkedIn is such a powerful platform to connect with them, which is actually not one of the C's today, but to get in front of them and to engage with them and learn about the account and uncover things that then, as you say, you could take to court. You could go higher up the ladder and say, look, I see this in lots of organizations and it's true in yours. And here are the problems that you're probably encountering. Is this true? Or better yet, these are the problems that are very common in your organizations and here's what to do about it, right? And become more of that consultant role. So that's all preparation work that sellers need to be doing in advance of any, I'm going to go do something out on LinkedIn. Who are you actually targeting and are they active on LinkedIn? That's, it's, yeah, it kind of sounds silly, but I can't say we haven't had to repeat that inside training sessions before. Like it's... It's a mental mismatch between sellers and buyers and management. And if you think, what is the limiting factor on pipeline? I know... There's a manager that just says, dials, dials, it's dials. You're wrong. It's not dials. It's why change. It's a mental shift on the prospect and buyer's side. It's mobilizing a champion that's willing to go to bat for you in-house. It's having an ROI calculation that's worth bringing to their attention, a worthy business case but we always get so stuck on stupid activities that we miss the whole fricking point. Like, I don't know if I ever told this story before. I just love it. The British government uh, was in Delhi and uh, I don't know if it's just after they invaded India. I don't know, but uh, they were having an issue with cobras. And so the metric that there was their North star was cobras. How many cobras? So what did they do to go and fix it? Everyone that got killed they would go and reward them. Some entrepreneurial people in Delhi said, oh, maybe I'll just raise cobras, kill them, and make this into a business. All all metrics need to be temporary. If they stay too long, you'll optimize for the metric, not the reality. And that's what I'm seeing everywhere right now. Like, Why is pipeline such an issue? Because most of the stuff in there wasn't real to begin with. And everything is based around the wrong actions and not about the buyer. Which brings us to the three C's, the ways to actually connect with buyers, which is not one of the C's, once again. 
and the ways to use LinkedIn to generate demand, to build pipeline, to, I mean, book meetings and close deals. And so those three C's are comments, content, and conversations, right? Comments are outbound that becomes inbound. Content is nurturing the relationship, which we've covered extensively recently. And conversations are about validating timing and pain, or better yet, doing discovery in the DMs. We'll use those ideas synonymously today. So what we're going to do for the rest of this episode is sort of walk through each one of these comments, content, and conversations, how they work, what to avoid, what not to do. And at the very end, I have a fun little special clip from one of our most famous episodes, actually, uh, in the archive. I know. It's actually a good clip. It's not a silly clip. Um, okay. It's, it's, <laughs> you never know what I'll pull. I know. That's why I said, uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> so uh, comments, outbound that becomes inbound. There's this really funny moment from the archive that I think is really good to remind everybody of. Why you're not booking meetings with comments is because you're feature dropping. You're talking about how you can solve what your solution is, but nobody is going far enough back to talk about what is a problem and how does it show up in your customers' lives? What are those signs and symptoms like a cold that they know they don't realize are a big problem that, you know, good enough is pretty freaking expensive. And, you know, it's because of X, Y, and Z. <laughs> when you can nail those X, Y, and Z, that, well, that's when you book meetings. And I think I will say, because we are pulling from the archive, the prevalence of people who just pitch in the comments has definitely declined over the past year and a half. It was pretty bad, if you recall. I don't see it all that often anymore. I mean, I still see it. Don't worry. I remember we would get pitched in the comments before on different services, and and we would see plenty of threads with people dropping in on a comment saying, oh, I can help solve this, and you should check out my product sort of thing. It's like, that's not the place to do it. And I know the reasons why we're tempted when we see somebody who is talking about their pain talking about the challenge that they're experiencing to go into the comments and say, oh, well, I can fix that for you. Look at me. Yeah, look at me. <laughs> you know what? It always makes me think of the Finding Nemo seagulls. Yeah, mine, 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 mine. And then the buyer's like, uh-oh, and they run. You know what's really funny, Nick? Today, we have a clip that is us from the archive saying that same thing. And for the life of me, I can't remember which one it is. So we're going to run into some clip today of us doing that same thing. This is how frequently we talk about this. That's hilarious. I think from a strategic perspective, Nick, the one thing most people forget about comments is that they are public, not private. And that means other people are seeing what you're commenting. And this is why comments are outbound that can become inbound. Because even though you might be, quote-unquote, outbound prospecting by engaging with someone post or replying to another person's comment, there are lots of other eyeballs on that same comment who could also come back to your profile and talk to you. And this is how we win a lot of business. <laughs> this is how we connect with a lot of people, is by Zoe Hartsfield's old adage, engagement in public earns conversations in private. So... By commenting on people's posts, by engaging with influencers, by responding to unresponded to comments and in influencer sections and so forth, wherever we can engage, we are earning the credibility that's required for us to have those conversations in private. That's where it all starts, right? 
That's where it all starts. It's validation. We're human. We're wired for survival. And one of the things, whether we not we admit it to ourselves, is we do ask ourselves, how does this make me look? It's a reason why most people don't post and they won't comment. But it's also why most sellers are getting stonewalled, including in in-mails. We have really strong bullshit meters and it doesn't help with that equation of how does this make me look? How is this going to make me the hero? Sort of to restate our preparation idea, commenting isn't just for VPs or the more common objection is, well, the economic buyer, the champion, the CIO or whatever doesn't post all that often. And so from the archive, you would try and find people using sales nav commenting in VP or C-suite. They don't really post that much. It's only a very select few that really see the value of social and use it to its fullest advantage. Mm-hmm. But, but, but. <laughs> the, users, the users of your product and service are out there struggling right now. Do you know what happens when you help somebody that is an end user of your product see real value and you can help them with a problem that you know exists, especially if you did that role? They start to trust you. They find you as a credible source. And when you start to have these conversations over and over, you can ask for an introduction to the manager. But because you've been listening, because you've been building up your understanding of their exact problem, the way it's felt, instead of stuffing a solution down their throat. Yep. Moment of silence for uh, actually talking to people who need what you have and not just who you think should buy from you. My favorite way to test this, and I I encourage you all to do this because I've done it myself. It was just such a thought-provoking exercise is tell them why they're on the list. If you can't tell them why they're on the list, however that list was built, failed. End of story. More time just needs to be spent. That's okay. But hey, Morgan, uh, I just wanted to call you today. You are the biggest freaking account I have on this list. And if I sell you, I know I'm going to get a promotion. I'm going to hit my quota and I'm going to make bank. So can you buy this shit today, tomorrow or next week? (laughs) I'd love to get 15 minutes to go and sell you because our product is amazing. It's so amazing that it's amazing that it's amazing that I won't even charge you for this free consultation that we don't charge anyone for. But we strategically partner with you and they layer on all this crap trying to create messaging to justify why they're reaching out instead of justifying it in the first place. And I think that's it ties back to comments and the other C's, right? If you know why, I guess a Simon Sinek can win in this moment, but start with why. It works. Although I will say the transparency would be refreshing. I wonder how disruptive that would be if you just told somebody that they were the biggest account on your list and that you'd love to sell them because you'd make a big bank. <laughs> did I tell you I did that in a workshop with a group? Oh, really? Okay, I'll have to pull a recording for you. I asked one of the sellers and I was like, why are they on their list? And he's like, well, they're big and I'd like to sell them. I was like, okay, let's go and tell them. So that's how the VP picked up. And that's what I said. And all I said was, wouldn't that be crazy if one of your reps said that to one of your people or said that to one of your customers? He's like, yeah, I would lose my mind. I was like, yeah, but why are they on the list in the first place? Isn't that all it is? And it ended up being a great conversation just because it's like stand-up comedy. You're just poking fun at a reality we all know exists shared knowledge, right? But it happens every day. Well, and actually what you're pointing to is something that we had affectionately nicknamed coffeehouse rules once upon a time. What is the tone of the conversation? What is the approach that we should have? So here we are. You don't want to get in your comments and pitch them. The reason why you want to do this is like, it's like seeing somebody at a coffee shop. Um, 
I walk into the coffee shop and, you know, maybe I'm friendly and I wave hi to Morgan. Well, the second, third or fifth time, I'll be like, hey, you know, I'm Nick. Nice to meet you, Morgan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hi, Morgan. Nice and to meet then you. you come back a few more times. And what happens is you, you come familiar with this person. You start to trust this person because they're leaving valuable insights. They're asking great questions that are diving deeper into their expertise or you're having fun and you're understanding the context that they're asking the question and not trying to look smarter than them in the comments. And I do think if there is a takeaway about like the tone, the approach here to these five to 10 people that you're going after, coffee house rules, baby. You just show up to build that initial relationship, to warm up the relationship, we might call it. And comments are a great way to do that. Because once again, you're finding active people on the platform. Who's commenting? Who's posting? And all you're doing is you're leaving a comment. So what's a good comment? Try Hard Tammy's a good comment. No, the <laughs> an old famous example of mine is, is a jokey comment, right? Jokes are great. You got to make sure to include some emojis. Dry humor over text is sometimes difficult to communicate. For all of our audio listeners, Nick is kind of grimacing. Uh, We've definitely gotten into some trouble over that before. But jokes are a great way to start a conversation. And especially as you had just said, like humor is a way to connect with people, to observe reality, right? Another type of comment that's my favorite in the arsenal is a question, curiosity opener. And uh, not a leading question, right? Objection, leading the witness. We've all seen Law & Order. We're not trying to lead the poster to our product. Have you ever thought, you know, I could already hear it already, some seller. There's some feature that allows you to do 20,000 different things. Hey, Morgan, can you just tell me about your business? I'd really love to know what, what you're up to and to see if there's a way to partner. There isn't. No, or even worse... Have you ever thought about being able to connect 20,000 different data sources together in one platform, all for $19 a month, but essentially that in a comment? Like those are not good. Yes, Morgan, it wakes me up every night while I'm sleeping and I lay there like <laughs> wake or, you know, awake and it like haunts my nightmares. Those words verbatim. I don't say, man, I really don't understand why I don't have this information to make the right decisions. And it always seems like it's always going wrong. I just don't understand why you know, human. Yes. And a curiosity comment is actually a genuine question. Or, man, an agreement with the post. Man, it's so true. I especially agree with whatever concept they brought up. Have you ever thought about something else related? And again, coffeehouse rules. The point of it is not to immediately drive a booked meeting. The point of it is not to drive a connection request. It's not to drive anything beyond getting to know the person, warming up that relationship. Boy, have you ever thought about this before? Or, oh, that's so true. You know, that actually reminds me of this article I was reading the other day, and then you drop in the link of the article. These are all examples of ways to leave good comments. That um, Another option, of course, tag in somebody who knows something about the topic, tag team article, uh, a comment. Works so well. Or an insight comment, an insightful comment. You have a perspective, an opinion on what they are posting about or what they have already commented. Hey, I actually don't agree with what you said. Or take a yes and approach. Yeah, that might be true in some circumstances. And I also see in other circumstances, it works out like this. And start the conversation like that. These are all options to leave good comments, good kinds of comments with people. Because again... This is outbound that becomes inbound. 
it's not about just the person you're commenting on or the person you're replying to. It's also about everybody else watching that conversation. So what's also going to drive curiosity or attention from other people who might see this comment, which is why thanks for posting is such a shit comment because it's you might earn a small sliver of attention from the poster, but you earn no attention from anybody else that's watching. But if you have a question, an insightful thing, a joke, you can earn attention from the other people who are watching that conversation as well as the poster. I was telling someone about this over the weekend. Their response was, that's nice. And then they started killing themselves laughing. It was like, do people not realize that's about the same thing in conversation? Like, you're better off to stand there looking like an idiot than you are to open your mouth. And I'm like, that's a bit harsh, but... Not far from the truth. <laughs> well, yeah, you're just... Lots of sellers try too hard. And they try too hard on the things that don't matter. I really wish that they were... You know, others would invest in themselves to show up where it matters, like in the comments, in like influencers that have the trust and credibility in their market, not only to learn about their market, but befriend them and build those connections like what Riley does so well, or like the videos, that information that Melissa Gaglion gathers long before. And she also looks for opt-in before sending videos. So she's not wasting her time and effort on accounts just because they're there. Enrollment's so important. Huge. And the other benefit of commenting, which will bring us to the second C, you might start seeing some patterns. So here's a challenge. Here's an interesting clip from the archive. When you're using comments to do social listening, which is what this is called, and you're listening into these conversations and the questions, even if you do this for two weeks, I mean, here's the thing. Make a bet. Do this for 10 minutes a day for two weeks copy and paste interesting questions or insights that your ICP are leaving on people's accounts, on these influencers' posts. And then at the end of the two weeks, look at your Google Doc or look at your notes or whatever and see all of the interesting insights and patterns that you have learned about your buyers. That is about more than just leaving a good comment. That can influence your whole sales process. And that's why comments are also outbound that becomes inbound because it can inform one of the primary ways that you can nurture a relationship and drive demand off of the platform. And that's with content, which is the second C today. Uh, the Okay, so there. I think this is an episode like nine clip. Uh, let me pull this up really quick. This is about the purpose of content. So mm-hmm. the reason that you're posting out on LinkedIn, for example, or you're you're leveraging Instagram for a campaign or whatever, is so that that content can reach the people that you want to get after. Let's say you run an ABM campaign and you're targeting specific accounts and leads within those accounts. One cadence you could create within your content creation uh, strategy is you're going to create a bunch of content. You're going to connect with those leads and accounts. Hopefully some of them pay attention to you just from like a thank you message that you send to them for connecting. And then give it a couple weeks and follow up with a piece of content you post and say, hey, I just posted this and I'd love your feedback on it or I'd love your insights. I think that this would resonate with you. And so you're really matching up the content that you're creating with the sort of accounts that you want to go after. You know, that's not that hard. 
I actually, I will say, listening to that clip is really funny because I don't think I would ever send a thank you message anymore uh, to somebody who connected with us. I don't, it doesn't work anymore. Uh, just as a little asterisk. It used to, that used to be a bread and butter play for us to start conversations, uh, but it doesn't work anymore. I still like the idea of creating content, having a list of people who I've connected with, and then being able to match up whatever content I'm creating in order to nurture that relationship to start conversations. And not, you know, this has happened to us a, a number of times over the last month where I'll get a message from somebody with like a piece of their own content, which is like, would love your input, would love your engagement, would love to know what you think. That's not a way to start a conversation. It's instead, the content itself can be a vehicle for better conversations. It can say, hey, you know, in your role, I talked to so many people about your role. So I created this post that talks about a challenge or a common problem or whatever. And I'm really curious about something specific. You ask them something specific. I'm really curious to know what you think about X and then tag in the post. That's one way that that play can work really well. I got absolutely roasted on the phone one time by a VP of sales. And the, what he told me has just stuck. And he was frustrated, but respectful, but he roasted the hell out of me. And so shorting the story and also making it a little bit more friendly language, he basically said, Nick, I don't owe you anything. So stop acting like I do. And ever since I just can't shake it. So every time I'm going to comment or I'm going to start conversations, if I were to go and say, I don't owe you anything, but I would like to, you know, extend the olive branch, what's a meaningful way I can do that? Is it offering advice? Well, as we, and if anybody's read Dale Carnegie, you know, they always say that your name is the sweetest sound they'll ever hear, but also it's just a simple compliment that's true. But it's these little things that change everything because it shows you're not prioritizing yourself. Yeah, he said that, that was a hard, that, that one hurt, not going to lie. But that's, I think, why it stuck so well over the years, right? Is, yeah, you don't owe me anything. So how can I show up in a way that you'll recognize? And if I do, and I keep making those deposits, like we talked about with the coffee house rules, with comments or whatever that may be, that I earn some goodwill in the process. And that's where our content can be so powerful. We've dedicated a lot of time on the show recently to creating great nurture sequences and writing good content. And Jen Allen's been on talking about her process, which maps really neatly to this. So if you want more, definitely check that out. I don't want to dwell too much on content because I think what people miss is the strategic point of content. Who cares how you write it, hooks, whatever else. That, that all can get resolved in its own time. The strategic purpose of content is to nurture the relationship. And if most of your buyers, as we uh, sort of started this conversation today, are in the student stage, they're just here to learn, you should provide content that helps them learn. If some of your buyers are prospects and they're trying to understand their pains better and why they're happening, you should provide content that helps them understand their pains better and why it's happening. That's it. What's so frustrating to me about this, especially being a content writer, <laughs> is it's not harder than that. Don't make it so complicated. If most of your buyers are students or prospects, mathematically they are, then your content should be for students and prospects who use the platform. You should talk about the things that they're interested in that you learn from comments and kind of just go with it. You don't have to make it any more complicated or more structured or become a content marketer, God forsake, and have 30-month plans for your content campaigns. Write content to nurture the relationship. 
whatever stage they are in the buyer's journey. That's its purpose. That's when content really works to generate demand on LinkedIn. So easy if you correspond with your clients through email. Go find the questions they asked just before they bought or just before they churned. It's my favorite one. Or if you guys have gong, look at the high emotion moments, figure out what was asked or what happened, reflect on it, distill it down into what was what happened. Those high emotion things cause a reaction, lean into it. That's great content. And the other simple one is, you know, following kind of like the Nate Nasralla concept of, you know, you win when you're not in the room or you, win, you can win or lose when you're not in the room, what would they need to know before they'll buy or ask you for a meeting? Because we're all on our own journeys. Where are they at and where, if they knew what you knew, would change everything. Exactly. That's content. Which brings us to conversations, validating timing and pain. There's a class, what's really funny is we've definitely talked about this already today, but a good clip from the archive. The problem that we see most is that people who pitch slap, generally speaking, have no good reason to reach out. And good reason is actually a complicated idea. It is a complicated idea. What is a good reason to reach out, right? And to your example earlier, are they just the largest account on your list and you really like to sell them? Or is there another reason? And if you are if you have five to 10 people at the larger accounts, why are you talking to the product marketing manager? And what's that conversation going to be like versus talking to the director of finance or talking to the sales leader or talking to the technical engineer or whoever else, right? That good reason to reach out might be a little more complicated than just, I want to sell you. It's supposed to start a conversation. So another lesson through pain. Wait, we all have gray hairs from mistakes? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I may be turning a little gray. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> it might be self-induced. One of the things I realized is that one of the reasons why I was messing up and why it was taking 100, 150 cold calls, why I had to send so many emails, why when I went and like bumped into a, someone at a networking event, why that was all happening really came down to I always started from where I wanted to start and tried to map out how I was going to get there. So if I wanted to go and travel from Calgary to Denver, I started at Calgary and I worked my way to Denver. But what I realized is if I reverse engineered it, what are those critical points and work backwards from it? Because if I can either find those points with my list building and prioritization, social listening, take your pick, key in on those moments to start those good conversations, you know, I might be like, hmm. So this company, their sales ease are dropping, but they're hiring a lot of SDRs. And recently they've had a lot of problems retaining performance marketers, yet it looks like they're pretty consistent on hiring for them. I bet you that they're trying to go and increase lead gen or top of funnel. So Morgan, the banner that you set up on your profile, is there a method to the madness or like, how did that come to be? Because what I'm trying to understand is how are they using LinkedIn? So how can I start with an observation that's a top of, you know, that I can see above the waterline in order to earn the right to go below the waterline to ask the deeper, darker questions that if you just ask someone on the street would scare them because there's no reason for you to know. It's a survival instinct. We put up the barrier. But when you start innocently and you, you're very open, it opens up that opportunity for bigger, more meaningful conversations because you're working 
through it together in real time. Right. And what we've called this method is the vampire sales rule. Long live the vampire. Because if you embrace this rule, it is the single biggest thing that increased my pipeline is by folklore, a vampire couldn't enter your home unless it was invited. So don't pitch unless you're invited. Just be interesting. Start your discovery questions. Start your qualification questions. But remember, it's a conversation. So be interesting. Pique their curiosity. Make it fun. Use GIFs. Use video. Use audio. Use everything you can to make a very dynamic discussion. And I think folding those two things together, what comes to mind, the the best conversations I've had that have become either qualified opportunities, longtime friends, partners of the show, and so forth, always started with what you call today a surface-level observation. It's always been, oh, you spent two years at ZoomInfo. What was that like? Oh, I see that you're in, you know, renewals accounts right now. Man, I talked to, I just talked to somebody else like yourself and they were really struggling with this. What what do you think about that problem? You went from Google to AWS? Yeah. Like, did they bring you cookies when you went to the dark side yeah. or? <laughs> hey, you lived in Denver for three years, but now you're in Chicago. How's Chicago going? And that's not necessarily the first one because that, that can feel kind of fake. But leading with something a little more light touch allows us to earn the permission to go deeper. And if we just obey vampire sales, if we just don't pitch unless if we're invited to, unless until they say, all right, Nick, I want to know more about what you do. And you just lean in to the, the natural conversation. We're just having conversations. Again, in the same way comments are these conversations in public, these are conversations in private. Same rules apply. Don't pitch unless if you're invited to. And I agree with you. I think as I think about my engagement, or I agree with past you from this clip, that as I think through my conversations, the most powerful rule that has changed the game is vampire sales. Because we just don't pitch. We just don't until somebody, until somebody invites us to. And this is why I've headlined conversations today as validating timing and pain. Are they interested? Are they, is it even worth it? Like, it's great to have a relationship and it's good to keep on having that relationship. But if we're really thinking that they are the right buyer, is it the right time? Do they even understand their pains? Can they even articulate to you why things are going wrong? As you get deeper and deeper into these conversations, it turns into like discovery in the DMs without having a disco call. And our job is to say, oh, is this the right time? Do they understand what's going on? And back to the example that we started this episode with, which is kind of full circle moment. You obeyed vampire sales, obviously. Coffee house rules. Hey, have you thought about this? As you got deeper and deeper on the deal, you were starting to validate the timing of a potential deal, the pain that they're experiencing, whether we would be the right fit for them. And then that led to a meeting where you continued to do so. You didn't wait for that meeting. You didn't prompt the meeting to say, well, you know, I think it'd be a really good idea to, for us to have a discovery call. It's like, no, we can just exchange some DMs. We're just having a conversation. What's going on? That's some powerful social selling. The one thing I wish I would have known two years ago, even three years ago, is that uh, you got to find someone that cares. And I feel like this is the icing on the cake for all, my almost my entire career now. Like if you have a great list that has, you know, doesn't look like your competitor's list with the same freaking filters applied. And you're like, oh, I'm just going to go and pitch them and they'll understand. But you have a really dialed in list and it's prioritized. If the person you're talking to doesn't care, 
They don't care. You know, there's some people, a job's just a job. They're happy going nine to five. They don't want to invest anymore in. Those aren't the people that are going to go to bat for you. Those aren't the ones that are fighting to see a change happen. And I wish somebody would have told me that because once you find those people that are willing to bat, it doesn't, seniority does not matter because if it hurts enough, the survival instinct will push us to want to be better intrinsically. And if we have external support to do that, think of every adventure movie to known to humanity, you become the tour guide and they become the hero. And now you're seeing who else is going to, you know, turn up on your team of champions that are going to get this, turn this into something real. And I, you can't figure that out without a conversation. Yep. So the little asterisk on this, because over the years, I think you and I have gotten some questions about, well, but what if I know? Or like, is there any possibility to go direct, direct from the get-go? And uh, the short answer is yes, but it's a lot less than you think so. So here's a clip from the archive. There's going to be 1% of your total market, which I love to call your Princess Leia leads, the people who are like, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope, speaking of Star Wars, that would be open to a highly formulated, well-crafted connection request with as a spear, basically, which is a like cold outbound, like a really well-formulated email. But I think the problem is everybody inverts that and says, oh, you mean I can do that to 99% of my market? This is why we encourage vampire sales so much. It is a edge case in our experience, I think. This is like a Dunning-Kruger effect in some ways, where we think we're smarter than we are. It is a real edge case to work with a seller who can accurately identify Princess Leia leads. And chances are, if you're listening to this and you're a seller, nothing against it. I have difficulty doing it. I'm not good at this at all, which is why I obey vampire sales. Identifying Princess Leia leads is really hard. You're probably not that great at it either. One, we're not trained to, which is its own challenge. But two, it is hard to externally identify somebody who's really in the buying process, who is a buyer, who's ready to talk about the buying. To the story that we had previously, we earned that through engagement, not through a cold connect. So it's so much better to adhere to vampire sales when it comes to conversations, unless if you're damn sure. And then that can prompt something direct. But like, again, it's going to be 1%. So if you got a list of 500 accounts at any one time, it might be five people. Maybe. And good luck. You got 495 others to work through and you might burn along the way if you think they're Princess Leia leads. It's a lot easier to just obey vampire sales and go drum up some conversations and have some fun. It's supposed to be fun, for God's sake. It doesn't have to be beta boring all the time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. End of rant. That's my soapbox. So generating demand on LinkedIn, obviously, preparation. You find the active people. There is not one stakeholder to rule them all. And our goal is to find the five to 10 people that we can get recon from, that we can have conversations from in each of the accounts that we're trying to target. And then what do we use? We use comments, we use content, we use conversations. We use comments because it's outbound that becomes inbound. We use content to nurture the relationship and educate them. And we use conversations to validate that timing and their pain. Are they the right fit? Is it the right time to actually book a meeting? So I have a little last clip. It's funny, I was thinking of, well, we spent a lot of time about what to do, what to think about. And from a classic episode, seven most common mistakes that people make on social, I have a quick uh, summary. So if you're looking for some guidance, 
here are seven things you should avoid in generating demand on LinkedIn. So quick little summary. Mistake one, the pitch slap. Don't do it. Mistake two, only talking about yourself. Maybe don't. I, uh, I, I? <laughs> mine? 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 <laughs> it is like those birds though, isn't it? Mistake number three, pitching without being asked. So obey vampire sales. Obey Mistake vampire. number four, posting more than you're engaging. Remember, all of the attention you get is temporary. It's about relationships. Uh, mistake number five, going in cold versus warming up the account. Mistake number six, creating a profile that's a NASCAR jacket or that's only about your company. You are I'm more than your boy. company. <laughs> <laughs> I like the the ongoing Pinocchio <laughs> joke here. I, I'm really into it. <laughs> and then number seven, waiting until a call to do discovery. You can have great conversations, validate assumptions, get them further along in the sales cycle without ever having to schedule a call. So those are seven very common mistakes we see when sellers use social for prospecting. Why don't you close this out today, Nick? Ladies and gentlemen, it's 2023. It's no longer okay to suffer in silence. Sometimes we don't get the support we need. And sometimes we're put in a, in a tough spot. If you need help, reach out, get in the comments, get in the DM, send us a connection request, let us know what's going on. And we will point you in the right direction, help you out. You don't need to buy anything. Just reach out. We're here to support you guys. You mean the world to us. And without you, this wouldn't be here and it wouldn't be what it is today. So thank you so much. And thank you, Morgan, for putting all these clips together. And guys, if you have questions about the clips too, get in the DMs and ask. There's no stupid questions. We'd rather you go and clarify and we can save you some effort and trial and error. That's the whole point. We want to see you do better faster. That's all, right? Learn from our mistakes. <laughs> Please, God, learn from our mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Hey, we know how hard implementing this stuff is. That's why this podcast exists. We decided to take it a step further and start the One Up Club to give you the frameworks and resources you need to move the dial in 2023. Learn more at b2bpowerhour.com slash join. Because we know you have a quota and you can't afford to wait.